Hey there, Shelly. Have you heard about VanHack? Oh, you mean the HR tech sensation that's taking the recruitment world by storm? That's the one. VanHack is revolutionizing how companies find top talent globally. Imagine connecting with skilled professionals from all around the world without the hassle. Absolutely. VanHack has a great team and seamless technology where recruiters and companies can discover talent with ease. And they have a talent pool specifically curated for tech professionals. Tech savvy and globally connected, just what every company needs. VanHack offers tailored solutions for companies of all sizes, from startups to Fortune 500 giants. So if you're ready to take your recruitment game to the next level, join VanHack today. Yeah, visit VanHack and unlock a world of talent right at your fingertips. VanHack.com, where global recruitment meets simplicity. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, I haven't seen you probably in a couple of hours, but you still look great. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yes, I guess the hairspray is holding up. Serge, I'm really thrilled to introduce our guest today, someone we've not had on the show before, but has got some super cool and interesting things for us to talk about. So with no further ado, I would like to welcome to the show, Mark Parent, who is the CEO of Job Hub Central. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Shelly and Serge. I'm excited to be here. I'm going to dive right in. Because, Mark, for the audience, this may be the first time they're meeting you. Start us off with a little bit about who you are and your journey into the talent space. Sure. So I spent about seven years as the head of performance marketing at snagajob.com. When I was there, I led everything from SEO, SEM, paid partnerships, affiliate marketing. My joke was that if you needed another applicant, it was my job to go find them. And so about a little over two years ago, at the beginning of 2021, I left and decided to start my own company, which is what Med Digital was. And that company really focused on helping job boards drive more applicants. More recently, we launched a company called Job Hub Central. And that company is really focused on helping employers, ATS companies, as well as job boards get their jobs optimized and into Google for jobs. Okay. Because that was my next question. There's a two for one. Come back and talk just a little bit more about Job Hub Central. Because there was a lot to unpack there. That's fair, Shelly. So that product was actually born out of a need that my internal clients had at Ment Digital. And so a couple of my clients came to me and said, hey, we're not driving as much as we should out of Google for jobs, or they couldn't get into it at all. And they said, is there a way for us to solve that? And so my business partner, Ken Schaefer, and I said, yeah, I think we could solve that. So we literally built a product that said, here's a way where we basically ingest the XML feed, what everybody pretty much has in this space. And we host it on either a URL that we buy or a subdomain of that customer's site. And then we host everything else on the back end. So there's nothing else for the client to really do other than make sure we get the jobs. And we found that we were driving a lot of traffic for some of these clients. And then over time, we started to get approached by others who were saying, hey, 
you've built this for direct employers. Could you also build it for an ATS? We said, yeah, this will work regardless of whether an ATS or job board or a direct employer. The product basically gives a way to crawl all of your jobs in a way that's optimized for Google so that it can index it and get into the Google for Job widget. So Mark, you have become known as the Google for Jobs expert in the industry. You've earned that moniker. And I think you should do like Jim Durbin and create like the Indeed Whisperer. You can be the Google for Job Whisperer. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to bring you on is to talk about Google for Jobs and more specifically Google Job Ads. So we're here in Canada and we're hearing about it, but we're not even alpha testing. There is nothing being done here in Canada at the current moment but we're kind of excited by it. Can you give us your overall thoughts of, okay, what is going on with Google Job Ads? What's the expected launch date in, say, the US? Sure, I can break that down for you, at least what it exists today in terms of its current alpha state. So it's a closed alpha. There's only certain companies that are a part of it. So you can't request to get in. I had a client that was like, hey, we'd be really interested. So I talked to my Google rep and they didn't even know who to go to. So again, sort of closed environment on that front. Within that space, they're really running it more like a Google shopping product, if you're familiar with that. A couple of things that are key to that. One, it is a one-to-one, meaning that if you were to post a job for, let's say, a Dunkin' Donuts barista, that can only go to one job board or Dunkin' Donuts itself. Whereas if you think about the Google for Job widget, that has multiple buttons that can exist at the top. And so different players could show up for the same job. This is a one-to-one product, again, as it exists today. It's a side-scroll carousel. And I think the most I've ever seen live is six at any one time. That's interesting in that if you think about a lot of searches, which are going to be things like part-time jobs near me, those tend to be really large volume searches. I don't know how well that product is going to perform today because it's really hard to take something with very little intent from a search perspective, like part-time jobs, and narrow it down to the four jobs that are most likely to get clicked. Where I think it's going to have a lot more upside is going to be on the longer tail. So think about barista jobs in this zip code or electrical engineering jobs in this one or VP of sales with a tech company or whatever it may be, those longer tail, the intent becomes clearer. You're going to have those high converting clicks coming from that. And I think that's really where the monetization will come in. The other thing I'll point out there on the job ad front is right now, it only appears on the initial search results page. So if you do a search, you'll see it at the top, then the widget shows below. Once you go into the widget, there are no more sponsored slots at this point. I think Google's going to change that. There's too much opportunity as people, again, refine their search with inside the widget that I think we're going to start to see those appear above. But that's not how they've constructed the alpha up to this point. Timing, I have heard Q3. Some have said, oh, that means that you know it's going to be live within the next 30 days. I don't think that's going to be the case only because we haven't heard more definitive news out of Google at this point. I do think it's going to be sometime in Q3. I just think it'll be probably later than July 1. I do want to talk a little bit more like Google for jobs and what it's looking right now, because there was a panic a couple of weeks ago for a lot of job boards, basically jobs stopped appearing and it went down for around a week, maybe a little bit less. 
And it seemed to be an algorithm change. And what I guess I'm hoping and a lot of companies are hoping it's the removal of all the shitty aggregators that I've never heard of, which was the purpose of the major change they did, I think, in October 2022 or maybe 2021 is to remove. Yeah. Is that your take? What is going on with Google for Jobs product? That's fascinating you say that, Serge. I will tell you that it happened about the time that TA Tech was going on. And so my phone was kind of like blowing up and a lot of people were shooting text messages back and forth. Hey, what are you seeing? Are you guys seeing this too? So it was interesting that everybody was together at the same time it was happening. On that note, yeah, it definitely felt more like a bug, at least the fact that things weren't updating than an algorithm update. However, since things have come back, we are seeing differences. It's not necessarily the same thing. And again, this is always the challenge with a Google algorithm update, right? Unless they come out and explicitly tell you, this is what we're doing. Here's how we're changing it. You're always left looking at what's left and then trying to determine what was Google looking to optimize or what were they trying to solve as a result. What we're seeing from the data that we have is a couple of things. One, it looks like Google is trying to address what you've just brought up, which is they're trying to clean it up. I will tell you from a job hub central perspective, I secretly like the people that are terrible because it makes it really easy to sell the product, right? You go, hey, look at this company. Would you want your traffic going here? No, you don't want that. You know, buy job hub central. But in all seriousness, they are cleaning that piece up, right? And so a lot of the winners, at least early on, appear to be the bigger, stronger players who have better user experience, more trustworthy, are longer players in the space, are doing the right things, the things you'd want a job board to do. We're seeing the contraction of traffic more around some of those, what I'd like to describe as less savory players. Now, again, over the next month, we'll probably get a better view of that, but that's the initial things that we're seeing and how they're addressing that. Yeah, thanks for that. That's a great update. And Shelly, I promise I'll move on, but I got to keep on this Google train for a couple more questions. Please do. This is super, super interesting. A lot of people ask about it. We don't understand. Thank you, Mark. Break it It, down for us. Talk to us like we're five. (laughs) It's a unique space. And I think a lot of people approach it the same way they do like SEO overall and think, oh, well, it's about backlink. It's a different space. It's a lot about the technical pieces. That's typically where the wins are had is getting it right on the technical side. The one thing that I'm trying to figure it out, I've seen demos just on Google Bard, also on Bing AI, basically using OpenAI, and how search is potentially going to change with what Google Bard is trying to do. It's going to affect search dramatically for job boards, also ATS, recruitment marketers, how they approach it. Can you highlight a little bit what the changes sure. that are coming to search on Google and Bing? Yeah, so it's a great point, Serge. And I think we are about to see the largest transformation of search that we have ever seen. If you remember the Yahoo days where everything was sort of a directory, right? And you click down and you're always drilling down. And then Google came along and changed everything, right? And it was like, I can just type in what I want and it'll tell me. I think you're going to see that level of transformation with AI. Where I think the biggest change is going to be is going to be more around informational searches. So you're going to say, hey, I'm looking for companies who have great maternity leave, who are female founded, and who are hiring in this state. And so you're going to type that in and it's going to send back a list versus today you're doing that search and it's trying to find which article makes the most sense. It no longer has to find a singular link and a singular article. It can just combine all the data to answer that question specifically. So what does that mean for job boards? Well, the big challenge is if you are driving a lot of traffic from 
these more informational searches, Google may just answer those. And so I think you're going to see a little bit uh, of a change in how users' behavior works and how they're sourcing that information. The flip side to that is going to be that Google is still not the location that you actually do a transaction, right? Google at its core is just a middleman, which sort of undersells it. But its goal is to take the user and answer the question. The way it makes money is by taking the user and taking them to a transaction, right? So if I want to book a cruise, I may use Google's cruise booking widget, or I may tell AI, hey, book me a cruise. But at the end of the day, Google doesn't own the cruise line. It has to get me someplace so that I can ultimately book that cruise and use my credit card and all that jazz. That's going to be true in the job space as well, right? Google's not going to host the application. They're not going to do the pre-hire assessment. They're not going to do any of that stuff. They're looking for the fastest and easiest way to get the user to the job. And so at the end of the day, Google's still going to have to send them somewhere to finish that application, to complete that transaction, if you will, which is, again, different than the informational searches. So I see it as a bifurcation in how that's going to change. It's absolutely fascinating. And we're talking in the green room of the next couple of years, we're going to see the biggest change in both the job board world, but probably the recruitment marketplace in general. On that note, I do want to jump to another topic because one of the things that I've been reading is your eight weeks of Indeed alternatives. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but there's a couple that I do want to highlight because I think they're highly relevant to people that are listening. And we've talked about this, Shelly. You should never have 100% reliance on one source. This is not a dig at Indeed in any way because we know Indeed works really well, but it's also important to see every avenue that you can get candidates so you're not relying on that one particular source. There's a couple that I want to point out. Obviously, job aggregators, key one, programmatic job platforms. Then there's social media, then niche job boards, which I love, Google for jobs, remarketing, and employee referral programs. The one that I really want to jump into is remarketing. Mm. This is a tool that's been used in consumer marketing for a really long time. Can you just highlight what you're talking about when you talk about remarketing in the thought of recruitment marketing? Sure. And you're starting to see more companies spring up to address some of these issues, which is this idea of you're going to drive a whole bunch of applicants to your ATS career site, whatever the little short of your termination point is. And they're going to come and some portion of them are going to apply, but a large portion either aren't going to find the job they want. They're going to be rejected for that role. They may not even just make it through the entire process, right? Maybe your application Mm -hmm. process is extremely long. That's a lot of waste, right? I tend to think about recruitment marketing as what are the things that we can be learning from some of the best in the industry, not recruitment marketing industry, but like marketing, as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you think about the e-commerce space, they do an amazing job of abandoned cart emails, right? Hey, you didn't finish your checkout. Would you like to check out? Think about all the upsells you get, right? Hey, you just bought this new office chair. Have you thought about buying a lumbar support pillow? Would you like to add as an add-on? There's a whole host of those type of things. You've already spent all the money to bring that user to the site. Yeah. Don't let them get away if there's an opportunity to create value. So again, that really comes down to I don't know of an ATS that doesn't capture an email and most of them capture a phone number. So is there a way to take that information and leverage it? And that could be a whole host of things. That could be everything from an email marketing program that says, hey, sorry, this didn't fit. Would you like us to update you on new positions that become available as they become available? That could be an SMS that says, hey, 
this isn't a good fit, but here are some other rules. It can also be used in other marketing channels, right? So you can have a Facebook campaign that is specifically targeting people that you know have applied because they've already raised their hand and said, hey, I'd be willing to work for you. So don't let that sort of just fall to the threshing floor. I love your example of what works well in consumer marketing. How qualified am I as a buyer? I just bought a chair. What else would I want to buy? Yep. What I don't believe anybody is solving for is the qualifying issue. Yeah, so I'm willing to work for you. But the fact is 50 people applied and only five meet the qualifications. It is the, I don't need more people applying. I need people who are interested in this work and capable of doing the work and willing to do the work. Anything that you see on the landscape for solving that part of the equation, because traditional marketing has solved it. Absolutely. But how does that translate into the recruitment marketing side of getting the right people to even be interested? So I think the difference here is, in some ways, recruitment marketing more similarly matches like B2B marketing than it does B2C, right? So in B2C, I just got to get you to swipe your credit card and then we're done, right? You bought the chair. In B2B, I'm spending all my marketing dollars trying to identify the right people that I think might buy this product. But I may get far down the thing and realize, oh, this product doesn't actually make sense for them. They're not a qualified buyer. Back to your point, Shelly, about qualification. How do I get the right person? I think there are two actual facets to that. One is what is qualified? And I realize that sounds like a super meta question. But what I mean by that is there are some cases where qualifications are pretty hard and clear. Uber is a great example because Uber says, you have to have a car that's this old. It needs to be at least four doors. You have to be at least 21. You have to have a driver's license. It's very clear to Uber who their person is and what it takes to work there. There aren't a lot of people, I'm going to guess, who get really far down the Uber path and it's like, oh, this doesn't work. Pay is another one that's really common, right? We withhold pay information. And then by the time we get to the end, Mm -hmm. the person's expecting 120. We can only offer 80 and we've spent all this time. So pay is one that's going to be solved I think, from legislation. We've already seen that happen in the US. I don't don't know what it looks like in Canada, but I think that's going to be one that's going to be solved. So part of it is, again, what is qualification? Are there hard qualifications where this person legally can't perform this job because it's brain surgery and you have to have BNMD? Or is it, we think that this person is not qualified to be a barista or be a driver? That's one piece. So when you look at the B2B space, right? Say you're selling software. And they went to five of your competitors and you saw that they went and looked at their website. So that qualifies them. Taking the page out of B2B where remarketing knows that you've just been to the career pages of five of my competitors and now I'm going to serve you my job. Is that what you're talking about? No, I think about it more as the person may not be qualified for the role they applied for, but you can probably qualify them for something else or they're just disqualified for everything. They failed Mm. a background check or something like that. So for example, if you said, hey, this person has applied to be, I don't know, my head of sales. And you look at them and you say, we asked for 12 years of experience. They only have five. We looked for three years of management experience. They only have two. You may say, hey, this person doesn't meet the qualifications. However, I actually have a director of sales role that I'm also trying to fill. And this person meets all those qualifications. In that case, it would be like a downsell. You could also have the reverse happen where someone applies and says, hey, I'm interested in being your night shift manager. And you look at their qualifications and you go, hey, this person actually should be the general manager. Like they have enough qualifications. Maybe they just didn't see the role. Whatever. Now you can upsell them. If you have all that information about the user, even if that specific role doesn't fit, 
you should know enough about them to then qualify them for something else. Again, assuming you did a good job in your qualification process. Okay. Following on to the whole idea of what our brothers and sisters over in traditional marketing do, whether it be consumer or business to business, one of the things they're also really good at is analytics and data. Agreed? Agreed. When we think about metrics that recruiters should really care about, what is the page we can take from our traditional marketing friends? Yeah. And so I'll tell you a couple of things. One, I think recruiters have an incredibly difficult job because they have to do everyone's job, right? They have to be the marketer. They have to be the analytics lead. They have to be the salesperson. They have to be the operations person. They have to be the marketing operations. There's too many hats for anyone to be successful at all these. And I think that's why you see the situation that you do. I look at a bunch of metrics because I'm also an analyst by heart and by nature. And so I never have enough data. But I'll give you a couple of things that I think are super helpful for recruiters to, to be focused on. One is what I'm going to call drop-off rate, which is really how many people start the application process and how many people finish. Most ATSs should give you this, but that's a hugely important metric because if you are losing a lot of people along the funnel, that means that either one, you're not doing a good enough job qualifying people up front. You're bringing in people who shouldn't have ever applied to this job. So that may mean you have a poor job description. You weren't forthright enough with your qualifications. Mm -hmm. Or, and this is the second metric I would look at, which is time that it takes them to go through the process. If you're not fast enough, you're also going to lose a lot of people in that. And so those are two quick and theoretically easy metrics to sort of pull out of your ATS. And I would focus on both of those because those should be largely in either the recruiter's control or the hiring manager's control. If you understand and you're good to grade at both of those, most of the other things will sort of work themselves out. Then it becomes, you start to worry about, well, what is the quality of the traffic I'm getting? And again, if you have enough data, you should be able to look at what is your drop-off rate by source. And so you may say, hey, Indeed is giving me a drop-off rate of 75%. So only 25% of the people that come in actually make it all the way through. Zip is at 50%. Snag a job's at this. And that can help you then determine whether or not you're investing in the right places, whether you need to move your budgets. The problem that most people have is they focus on cost per hire and they think that's like the BL metric, which it is. Yeah. That's a very important metric. But what gets missed is why is the cost per hire what it is? And so if that number is going up, a lot of people say, well, that means I need to spend less money. I'm paying too much for my traffic, possibly, or you're taking a lot of traffic and you're just losing it through the application process. And that's really what's actually killing you. And so you can go to Indeed and Zip and whoever else you're working with and try to bring those costs down. But that's not actually where your leverage point is. Your leverage is solving the application process. Can I put you on the spot? Just one second, Mark. I would love to know what applicant tracking systems actually track drop-off rate by source. Do you know? I actually... I don't know, but I know that this is more me as the recruitment marketer. All of the companies that I have worked with, a lot of them can tell me how many people they see start. And I know how many started because I know how many I sent them. I'm assuming (laughs) that they know how many people made it to the end of the application process. But if you're saying... So once you cross that threshold into the applicant tracking system, it's invisible. Right? And the problem there is it's going to be the ATS is your issue because the, is. the yeah. job board would happily tell you, this is how many I sent in. And they would also yeah. help you track that and say, mm-hmm. I want to know by quality. And the employer cares. The problem is the ATS doesn't care. 
Yes. 100% bang on. And a lot of the source tracking is done after the application phase with most ATS. Yeah. Uh, And you can tell who's started the application, but to your point, Shelly, it disappears. It's really hard to get that data. But this is where you can correlate the data from your job board with Indeed or career beacon in my example sure. and we'll more than happy give you that data right hey, i was gonna say most job boards would be happy if you sent them like a csv of tell me the people you sent me assuming they know that and figure out a way to dedupe that they would love to work with you on that i would guarantee almost all of them would. oh i know oh, we all would believe me we all would because that's the roi yeah. i may have sent you three people but you hired all three of them right yeah. but we don't yeah. know that from the sourcing side. And I will tell you where most applicant tracking systems will answer that question. They'll say, well, we ask the candidate, how did you hear about this job? Self-identified data is just, <laughs> it's so useless. I, no, like I'm not I- kidding you. I've talked to some employers that hire like thousands of people and they're the, like, the- oh yes, our number one source is our website. I won't name names, but I will tell you that I know of somebody who did that and didn't randomize their choices. And lo and behold, the number one choice got by far the most volume. Whatever the number one drop down was, they just did it because they just want to move on. They don't care. Well, I had a conversation with a client not too long ago saying, hey, we're getting zero hires from your job board. And I'm like, how are you measuring this? We do send all our jobs with a UTM tag. So if you're doing any type of source tracking, you should be able to see. And they mentioned, oh, we do self-reporting. So I went and applied for a job in the drop-down menu. Our job board was not on it. So of course you're getting no applicants, but I think that's a very valid point. If you're still using to this day on your ATS self-reporting of where the candidate came from, it's time to change. Yes. And I would also add that that's not analytics. That's not even data. That's just, I don't know, something that exists in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. Exactly. I want to jump into a little bit AI. You can't have a conversation in this space right now without bring AI tools. And you're obviously very involved in this industry and there's a lot of noise, right? And it is confusing for recruiters, for practitioners, for leaders of what's going on. Like what tools should I be using? So question for you, Mark, is there really any product that's got you really excited in the AI space or something that you're seeing that you're like, this is going to be a game changer for us? So I'll tell you, Serge, from what I have seen, and we talked a little bit about this in the green room, which is when people talk about HR and AI, at least to this point, most of what I have seen is about solving some of the pain points by just making AI do manual work. The example I'll give you is the cover letter, right? And so I think I told you, like, we're going to get to the point where AI is writing all the cover letters and then AI is reading all the cover letters. And then I don't know, like that doesn't solve anything for anyone. Where I think the more interesting solution and where it's going to get much better is we go back to what we talked about earlier, which is Yahoo used to be a directory, Google gave yeah. search, AI is going to be the next thing. What I think that will look like for recruitment, marketing, and talent acquisition is we're going to move away from what I'm going to describe as like faceted search, right? So today I say, okay, I'm a marketer by trade and I live in Richmond, Virginia. So I start my search as marketing in Richmond, Virginia. And then I go, oh, well, my last job was a director level. So I'm going to look for a director level or higher. So I click that. And then I say, oh, well, this is my salary range. That's fine. And AI may do a better job of that. But that I don't think is actually the real unlock. What I think is the real unlock is being able to feed enough data about you and your career to AI to let it come up with new ideas, things you would have never thought of. 
right? And so instead of search, it's going to be much more like discovery, right? So you're going to say, here's my resume. Here are things that I do on the weekends. Here are things I'm passionate about, all that kind of stuff. And a great example would be like a recruiter who goes in and says, hey, I've been a recruiter for the last 10 years. I don't know that I want to stay in the recruitment space. What are the other options for me? If you did a search right now, one, you have to come up with what all the ideas are. And two, if anybody else read your resume, is going to say, great, here's a recruiting job. You're like, I don't know if I want that. Instead, AI is going to say, hey, we noticed that you spent a lot of time talking to executives, helping them figure out what they're trying to do, da 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 We think you could be great in B2B sales because you have the ability to have a great rapport with people. You're able to do discovery. You're able to bring out issues that other people may have overseen. And this would be a great job for you. And you're like, oh, I would have never thought about that, right? Teachers would go in and say, hey, I've been a teacher for the last 15 years. My kids are out of school. I'm kind of looking for something different. What could I do? And AI is going to say, hey, you have all these skills. You'd be incredible as a project manager because you understand how to take all the stuff that's coming at you, figure out a way to get that to something that people can quickly digest. You're able to multitask like a crazy person. Like You can do all of those things. Here's a totally new route for you that you may have never considered. Those are things that are really hard for search to do today. And those are just two examples I thought of. AI can think of an infinite number. And so I think that's really where the shift is going to happen is you're not going to have to have a linear career path because... AI is going to help you find other things that your skill set ultimately would deliver really well on, but may not be directly the next jump in your ladder, if you will. That's the best answer I've heard in a long time to this question. (laughs) I was just going to say, okay, I'm just going to pick my jaw up because it's dropped. Thank you for that, Mark. That is probably the best explanation I have heard around the evolution, right? And until we think back to what it used to be, and realize that there's still so many possibilities that we're only limited by how we ask the question. People Mm. ask all the time, what else can I be doing? I don't want to do the same thing. So to think right now, we're contending with this frustration in the market where job seekers are saying, well, I know that's what I've done, but that doesn't mean that is what I want to do. Yeah. Or on the flip side, somebody may have spent 10 years as an accountant, but they're really bad at it. Like, yeah. Just because you've done it for 10 years doesn't mean you're any good at it. When what they'd really love to be doing is working in seniors care, you know, sure. they hated accounting even when they took it in school, but we had to earn a living. The only limit being yourself. And you can't think outside of, well, I've always done this. So I guess I just keep doing it. And that's where the generative part comes in, right? It can generate new ideas. And maybe that's giving AI too much credit at this point, but it can come up with new things. It can expand the funnel, whereas today we bring the funnel down in our searches. Mark, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I think you gave us some really good insights from multiple perspectives as well that practitioners can use starting tomorrow. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of Mark Parrault? Said yeah, in French. The, that's right. Yeah, I am French Canadian on my dad's side. The best place is going to be to go on LinkedIn and follow me on there. I can't manage more than one social media account at a time. So I just keep it all there. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Mark. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you very, so much very for having fun. I hope we can have you back again, Mark. Thank you so much. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. 
I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.